I said that we would get rid of the couches, but I lied. Uh, we will. We will. Uh, I just didn't feel like moving them. All right. So when I was growing up, <laughs> when I was growing up, I went to uh, a school in St. Louis, Missouri, like in the suburbs. Um, uh, maybe I was like in fourth grade or something like that. And I, I remember uh, because I was like the only Asian kid the entire school, right? And that's always fun to, to be that, that guy. Uh, right. But I didn't have an accent, so I think I threw a lot of those kids uh, for a loop because they kind of expected on TV that, that I would have an accent, but I didn't. And then this Indian kid moved in. What? <laughs> and I was jealous. <laughs> I was kidding. No, no, this, this Indian kid from India, not a Native American, this Indian kid moved in uh, to the neighborhood, and we would walk back and forth from school, like a, 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 a pack of us. We would all, you know, after school was out, we would walk home. And I remember this one, my friend, he was like this goofy white kid with, you know, big glasses. And I don't know why, but he started making fun of the Indian kid. And he started to start saying, like, really mean things. Now, I don't know why he didn't make fun of me, because I was Asian, and India is Asia, too, South Asia. But, you know, he starts, I don't know, he just didn't like, he liked Asians okay, he just didn't like South Asians. So he started making fun of the Indian kid, saying these really mean things. And I was just like, we're walking home, and it was us three, and I was just thinking, what should I do? This is kind of weird. And so he keeps mouthing off, and he's saying really mean things. You know racial slurs can be really hurtful. Um, I'm sure most of you guys have experienced racial slurs in, in some way or form. And, and I remember I was in fourth grade, around fourth grade, and we were walking home, and he says this thing, and I'm just like, dude, like what's, what's the matter with you? Why are you doing that, you know? Um, of course, it probably, probably wasn't that articulate, because um, kids at that age just, you know, you're stupid or, you know, whatever you say. And, and I remember looking at the, my Indian friend, and he had thick glasses too, and he was a little bit, what? Yeah. I mean, he had become my friend. Like, we walk home together. You know, like, in fourth grade, you don't really have, like, deep, deep friends. They're like, hey, I know you. You're my friend. So, like, we're walking home, and he's kind of chubby and thick glasses, and I was kind of chubby, and I didn't, oh, I did have thick glasses. And then my white kid friend, he was skinny, but he had thick glasses. And so, we were all walking, like, we were really cool, uh, now that I think back. <laughs> and uh, um, I looked at him, and his head was down. He didn't say anything. He was just this little chubby Indian kid walking like this. And I'm just like, what the heck, walking like this? And my friend, the, the, the white kid, was like walking like this, and he's just like saying mean things to this kid all the way. I'm like, you need to stop. Stop, stop, stop talking. And he wouldn't. And we just kept walking. And, you know, of course, even like one block is a long way if somebody's, you know, giving you racial slurs the entire time. So I turn around, and I punch him in the face. Seriously, I, I crush his glasses, his fat, thick glasses into his face. And uh, they didn't break. They just kind of bent <laughs> like this. And I was like, dude, I am awesome. I am the defender of righteous justice. You know, I'm just like, I went wham into a four-year-old. It's like, <laughs> you know, but it was enough. It was enough because he stopped and he stumbled. He's like, why did you hit me? I'm like, you're, you know, like I said cuss words because that's when you thought cuss words were really cool until you realized that cuss words sound like an idiot. Well, I was like third, second grade. I'd be like, MF, blah, blah, blah. You know, just like, I thought it was like a, I grew, up in Saint, I grew up in St. Louis, so I was like, I thought I was hard, but I was, I was second grade. Anywho, <laughs> we're getting distracted, guys. Focus. Aaron's like, you are a bad person. So fourth grade, like, I was just cussing at him and saying, you know, you're, you're a turd, basically, in other words. And, um, and he kept coming, not to attack me. He didn't, t he didn't swing at me or anything. He just kept making fun of the Indian kid again. I'm like, 
You know, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I probably said some choice words, and I'm just like, what's the matter? And I turn around and I slug him again, but this time his glasses were off, so <laughs> he had him in his hand there all like that. <laughs> and I went, wham, hit him in the, and he, he doesn't hit me. He doesn't, he just keeps talking. And then eventually, like, he saw that I was about to fight this kid, like, for real. And then so he turns off and he, he walks down this other side of the road. And then, like, a week later, I moved. And I never saw the kid again. And I, he, no, we were walking together afterward. And he was like, whoa, cool, man, thank you. Like, the, you know, I was like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because when you're in fourth grade, you have no idea. What? No, no, he walked off on another street because there was neighborhoods all the way. So he just basically took another uh, another route home because we just kept walking. No, it was weird. And then and then you know like in fourth grade, like we don't ever, you know like when you have conflict, you don't ever talk about it. You pretend like it never happened. So the next day, I uh, you know I, I don't remember if I saw him or not, but I just remember not saying anything to him. I never talked to him again. And then the, in, the chubby Indian kid, I never talked to that kid again either. I moved in a week. Yeah, and it was over. Th- that part of my life was over. But I was like thinking to myself how weird it was. And then, not, a, you know, not after that, I moved a, a billion times. And then uh, I remember going to North Carolina with my dad. Um, we moved to North Carolina, and my dad and I were going to, to my high school. It's called Olympic High School. Funny. Um, our uh, mascot was the Trojan. So we walked into the high school, and then these black kids in the front started making fun of us. In front of me and my dad, while we were walking, I'm like, "What the?" <laughs> Before that, I lived in D.C., and if you made racial jokes, everyone would fight each other. Like the black kids would fight the white kids, the white kids would fight the Asian kids, the Asian kids would fight the Vietnamese kids, the Vietnamese kids would fight the Filipino kids. I mean, like nobody, every, everybody, everybody was racist, but they just fought about it. So it was like kind of cool. Like you guys, like, well, you know, you call me a racial slur, I'll, me and my gang will beat you up, and their gang would come and try to beat them up and so it was just like nobody said racial slurs because they knew it'd start a, a war okay, kind of except there was violence and gang gang stuff so so like everyone was racist but nobody really did anything i mean nobody really like they just wouldn't say it because of fear they wouldn't say racial slurs because of fear uh, i used to live in um uh this ghetto part of st louis uh my dad owned like these restaurants in downtown st louis in st downtown st louis is really rough uh, pretty violent place, and we lived a, a, a place off of there. Uh, it was a predominantly African American neighborhood, and I remember like totally fitting in. Like we would sh- we would slap box each other, and we would talk, and I'd listen to like MC Hammer. You guys know MC Hammer? <laughs> yeah, he was hard back then. Tell you what. Anyway, so we would walk home and stuff. But I remember this one white kid um, being totally like everyone hated him because he was a white kid and he didn't do anything he wasn't like racist he was just a white kid that happened to live in a black neighborhood and i was an asian kid living in a black neighborhood and i got accepted and he didn't <laughs> right it's so confusing right and then you got you got uh, uh rodney king do you guys remember what happened to rodney king this has affected your parents a lot if you remember what happened to rodney king rodney king this is in la right uh rodney king gets beat thank you rodney king gets beat right by the police Right, and then there's all these riots that happened in L.A. and the mo- the place that got mostly destroyed was the Korean grocery store or the Korean stores. And so for some reason, I remember my parents talking about this all the time. Um, the the Korean community in St. Louis, which is about like you know like a hundred families maybe, um, they were th- they thought all black people hated Koreans. That's what they thought, because that's I think maybe how the Korean newspaper portrayed it. The African Americans were against the Koreans. It was so weird. And I remember thinking at the time, like, this is stupid. 
But my parents were like really, th- you know like Korean newspaper, they tell you like stuff and they always believe it. I hate it. My mom was like, don't eat toast because it'll cause, give you cancer. I'm like, what about everything else that gives you cancer? I'm sure toast is not that big of a deal, you know, but they're just like, no, don't eat toast. I'm like, I freaking can't eat toast now. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm a kid, you know. Like, they're just, they, and then now you got Ferguson that happened, right? And then, you know, other things like that. Um, you have, like, racism, and the, thing, the conclusion that I come to is that racism is alive and well today. There's a lot of liberal people that are like, oh, and, you know, kids, you guys grow up, you know, in, in school, and you guys are all talking about multicultural values and how, you know, race doesn't, make, uh, uh, um, doesn't matter anymore and all that kind of stuff. But I think the, the most common racism isn't the overt, ignorant, crazy people racism. I think the most common racism is when you don't, when you, when you don't make friends with kids that are from different places. I remember when I was growing up uh, going to a Korean church. I went to Korean churches all my life until I left home. Um, all the fobs, like, yeah, the fresh off the boats, the, the ones that didn't speak English that well, they would all, like, make um, the kids born in America, like, feel, like, really stupid and, like, second class. And then I went to another church. I'm not even kidding. It was the opposite. All the kids that were born in the States made the fobs feel like they're lesser. And, and this is the thing, like, racism, I'm not talking about in terms of, like, skin color, right? I'm talking about racism in terms of really, like, prejudice, like, separation, division. I think the most common is, like, you go, you walk down your, the, the, the halls in your school, and there's a kid that doesn't speak English. Do you guys reach out to him? Do you guys talk to him? Or would you rather reach out to somebody else because it's easier to talk to? They're easier to talk to. Right? And so that's kind of what we're talking about today. Um, I think that racism is alive and well, and after studying the Bible, I think it's Satan's plan. I think this is absolutely Satan's plan. It's not just human nature. I think it's Satan's plan. I think this is Satan's scheme to create division amongst people. That's what I think it is. That's what I think racism is. And if you notice that racism, we we make fun of racism back in the day, you know, oh, like... uh, um, human rights and activism and, and uh, um, Martin Luther King Jr. and all that, you know, like that's so far ago. That wasn't long ago at all. That was the 60s. Raylan's parents were, were 20s, 30s, in the, 20s in the 60s. That's not long ago. That's our generation. Well, around our generation. That wasn't like 500 years ago. You see what I'm saying? White man's burden, right? All that stuff. That wasn't long ago. That mentality, that kind of thinking... Racism is not leaving. I think that the only way that we can stop racism isn't uh, isn't by teaching you guys not to be racist. That doesn't work. I think it's by understanding what God wants you to do and living by Christian uh, values. It's like it's a it's a Holy Spirit work, right? Because I can't tell you to like somebody that you don't necessarily feel anything towards, right? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't do anything. But this is one of those examples that. You are living by the world. Racism, for us, especially in a multicultural you know, church like we are, we have African Americans here, we have Filipino, Taiwanese, we have Chinese, we have Korean, we have, you know, white kids, we have mixed kids, right? Thanks, Zach. My wife, too. She's kind of cool. So in that, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna see, see what racism is like. So how do we live not like the world? How do we live without racial slurs? We have, to do, we have to be countercultural. That's the tough thing. Christianity is all about being countercultural. 
Like, like name one thing. What does Jesus say to do if, an, uh, if somebody hits you? Turn the other cheek. How freaking weird is that? What does our culture teach? Hit back or sue if you can't hit back. <laughs> if you're like really small. I'm going to sue you. Yeah, right? Right? We're taught all of these things in our culture. Right? But the Bible is countercultural. And so racism, the, our response to racism has to be countercultural. All right? All right, so big idea. God keeps people moving so, they, so don't fight it. Um, this is what I want you to know, is that God keeps people from settling down. He moves people constantly. Okay, I'm going to give you guys tons of examples. He moves people constantly for a reason. And number two, God uses migration or people moving to bring people to know him. There's a purpose in it. So for you, you're probably going to be moved. You're probably going to move multiple times in your life. We got somebody, a family that's moving um, by this summer and it's making me really sad. Right? And then, on the other hand, people are going to be moving into your neighborhood. Right? And it's going to change everything for you. All right, so let's do, a, let's do a quick definition. When I say foreigner, when I say immigrants, when I say displaced people, when I say people that are moving or moving peoples, what I mean is that people that come from somewhere else and find themselves in a place not familiar. Okay? Does that make sense? So I'm going to use all of these words, but basically I just mean someplace that uh, people that aren't, aren't at home. Okay? All right, so how, how does God keep, uh, keep people from settling down? Does anybody know in the Bible uh, any story where God moves somebody? Abraham, nice. I was going to give you guys pins and throw pins out, but you guys want pins? I have pins. Hey, um, uh, hey, Ray, in there, in the closet, there's a, there's a bag um, of books and there's a, a little baggie of pins in there. All right. Abraham is the, is the first example. You see it in Abraham, Genesis 12, right? Who else is moved? Is moved from where they are? Joshua. How? Moses. Right. Right. That's good. Give Aaron and Josiah one. Jonah. Jonah. Yes. All right. What happened in Jonah? What happened in Jonah? Yes, he got eaten by. Okay, good. Right. So God told Jonah to go to Nineveh to share the gospel. Ninevites were not Jewish. Jonah was Jewish. God of the Jews. That's why that's such a weird story. Who else? <laughs> Do we, is that fair? Can we say? Yeah, okay. God moved Jesus. Obviously, God, Jesus was uh, on his throne in the heavenlies, right? And he's like, come through a baby, you know, you know, comes out. Katie, what do you, what's, what's, happening? what's happening here? All right, who else? Who else has been moved? What? What? Moses. Yeah, he went out to the wilderness, right? And then he came back. God told him to go back to Pharaoh. That's a good one. Yes! The Israelites wandered around in the desert, in the wilderness. You know how long that trip took from Egypt to, uh, to uh, uh, Palestine or Israel? You know how many days it takes to walk from, that, from there to there? Ten days. They walked, they walked for 40 years. They're like walking around like, I've seen that rock before, right? And then they walk around next year. Wait a minute, I know I've seen that rock before. And then they, right? It took them 40 years. They, walked, they wandered around the desert for 40 years. What else? Noah. Noah. Tell me about Noah. Okay, tell me. 
No, no, tell me about the moving. <laughs> he just said sex, guys. <laughs> moving. Where did, where did he move to? Where did he move to? Give him half a pin. <laughs> Robin. Right, tell me about Paul. Right, but then but, but tell me about the moving. You can't just say names. Paul, Paul made three major missionary journeys where he traveled all around the known world. Joseph, Jojo, Joseph. What? Philip, tell me. Oh, yeah, eunuch. Right. Did you guys know that? That God teleported one dude? One of his apostles? Teleported. Actually, the, the, in, in the ESV it says he, he was carried away by the Spirit, like floated 20 miles away. But I like teleported. Yes! Okay, so Joseph, right, moves to Egypt. So this is the deal. Your brothers hate you. You have these great dreams, Right? And, uh, and if you do a study of Joseph, you'll see that there's a lot of family dysfunction. But Joseph gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. Actually, after being thrown down a well, a dry well, which kind of sucks. So, and he goes to Egypt, and he ends, up setting, he ends up setting the place so that Israel can come during the famine. And then Israel blows up, right? Becomes millions of people under Egypt. All right, who else? What? Jacob? Tell me. Yep, because Esau was chasing him. Uh huh. Right, excellent. Anybody else? Joshua, haha. Daniel, tell me about him. Bab. Yes! Daniel moved to Babylon, he was in exile which meant that he used to live in Israel, then the Babylonians came over and took over, and they said, you're coming with us. They took all the smart, intelligent people, and they took them and took them into Babylonia. Right? Daniel, right. Now, this is the deal. You guys have said a, a smattering, a spattering of these stories. If you read the Bible, you're going to see the context that every single one of those people that were moved, there was a purpose. God moved people to further his purpose. Now, this is what sucks. Jojo, Sammy, Timmy, Eunice, they're moving. They're moving to Indiana this summer. Right? Well, Jojo's not. Jo- Jojo's, Jojo's at UGA. <laughs> but, but Sammy and all of them, like, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck because Jojo is, is, and his family is a huge part. Ted Park, he's, he chairs the mission committee. Him and I have worked together for years, and he's awesome. Way more awesome than JoJo. <laughs> I think he even plays drums. I'm just kidding. So, like, like when, when JoJo moves, it is really easy for him and his family to be like, oh, this sucks. It is going to suck. <laughs> no doubt, it is. Indiana, what's in Indiana? <laughs> wheat. <laughs> There's wheat. And corn. All right. And, and NASCAR. <laughs> Indianapolis 500. All right. When JoJo moves, it's really easy for him to think, oh, well, you know, or his, ki- his kids, his brothers to think, oh, this, this stinks. Like I'm away from my church family, you know, where I really feel like I, I belong. 
But I bet that God has a plan. And that Jojo and Sammy and Timmy and, and Eunice, okay, maybe not Eunice, just kidding. <laughs> She's a little sassy. <laughs> God has a plan for them, and God's going to do something with them. And this is really cool. Like, I don't know if you, you guys remember my story when um, my youth pastor, I was like in junior high. I, I don't even think I was a Christian. That was when I was getting saved like every year at, at one retreat. And uh, he would play guitar, sweat, and break strings. Right? And I w- really wasn't even a Christian. And the songs were like really lame and he wasn't very good. But it stuck with me for the rest of my life. So that when I started to lead worship when I was 18, I was like, oh, I want to be like that guy. That guy's full of passion. It, I, don't, I don't need to be good. I just need to be really passionate. Right? And that shaped me for the rest of my life. It, you never know what you, have car- what you gain here, what you pick up here, and then when God moves you, what you carry with you. Right? So the problem is when, when, when a group of people stay together, they stay together too long, they start to become really stagnant. They start to rot. But when there's this influx, if you looked at a, like a swampy pond, like we've got that pond in there, but there, there's an influx and outflux. But if, if there's water, fresh water coming in and old water going out, then the pond stays fresh, the lake stays fresh, and it, 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 it breeds life. For us, too, we constantly have new people. Like, it's weird. Aaron, how long have you been in our church? 45 years? 1.5. Aaron's only been here for one and a half years. Isn't that weird? Julian has only been here for two and a half years? Three? Two and a half? Julian's only been here for two and a half. You remember Nam? Yeah. When Nam left, it it made me really sad. Even when Tay left, and when Chicken, when he resigned, it really bothered me. It It was really hard. Because he was doing a lot of cool stuff in the junior high. But the fact of the matter is, people leave, new people come in, and God has a purpose. God purposely keeps people from settling down, and I want to challenge you guys to have the right mentality. All right. The, the other thing is that you guys need to remember that we are foreigners. And I know this is kind of weird. <clears throat> These are some of the things that I put down. But we are foreigners. First Peter 2.11 and I'm not even talking about just physical foreigners because, you know, some of us are uh, from Asian descent, um, um, right, uh, that we've come from other places, but that's not even the point. The point is that in some point in your life, wherever you go, you will be a foreigner, meaning you will not, you will be a newcomer, you'll be new. And when, it, when you're new in some place, it's very, very uncomfortable, very, very stressful. And I love this. This is First Peter. This is in the New Testament. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, journeyers, travelers, and exiles, people that have been kicked out, right, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which uh, wage war against your soul. See, this is the thing, is that we not only are physical foreigners, or will be in some way or form, we're spiritual foreigners. This earth is not our home, and we forget that. So we go after our careers. It's all-encompassing. Oh, we got to be successful. we got to be comfortable. When we know that this is going to be fleeting. Remember when we were talking about um, um, crisis and, and you know, sadness and, and all that kind of stuff for, the, for a few weeks, a couple months ago, a month ago or whatever? One of the things that we have to do is we have to hope in heaven. We have to hope in the promise that Christ has given us. Because that keeps us sustained. That keeps us focused. That keeps us not in, inside you know, our own hearts. That we're just focused all on ourselves. And I don't think that's really easy, but, but we need to understand that. Now, this is the second point. God uses immigration. God uses moving people 
uh, to bring people to know him. Oh, no. That was a cool picture, I think. Our Internet's kind of been wonky. I don't know what's going on. Uh, God uses immigration uh, to bring people to know him. God uses people moving to know him. How many of you guys have ever moved around a lot? What does it feel like when you first walk into your school? How do you feel? Do you feel confident? Like, you're, oh, I'm going to own this place. No. You most likely feel pretty small. You feel like, oh, I don't know what they're going to think about me. You know what I'm saying? People that move here from different countries, they feel vulnerable. It's kind of weird because I don't know if you've traveled overseas, but there's weird toilets. Yeah. We call them squatty potties. I love them because, they, man, you don't ever have to sit on the toilet and poop. You just poop like that because the, it's physics. I mean, just the downward. Uh, just Okay, anyway, so you squat down and you poop. And you're just like, boom, you're done. It's awesome. But it's also kind of unnerving if you never pooped in a squatty body before. Except for the ones that have like footprints on the sides. Those are kind of neat. You're like, oh. <laughs> right? But then you're trying to figure out how not to poop in your pants because you're trying to pull your pants down and try to, you know, then your squat position. Okay, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Alice is like, I will show you afterward, okay? You don't have to. <laughs> All right. But imagine, imagine if you grew up in a tribal village. If you guys watched The Good Lie, I talked about this movie before. The Boys of Sudan, The Lost Boys of Sudan. They come over to the States, they don't know how to do anything. And in the movie, it's this, there's this funny part where they kind of come to the kitchen and the lady's uh, like showing, her, showing them their apartment and they give, she gives them a parting gift and it's a pile of jello, like it's those jello things. And it's like moving and they're just like, what the heck is that, right? Even basic things are difficult. A lot of you guys have immigrant parents, and you know how hard it is because your parents are, like, making you do everything. Your parents are like, oh, you need to do our taxes. What? I had to do my dad's taxes all the time because he didn't know what the words meant. I didn't know what the words meant. I'm pretty sure he's probably going to get sued eventually. <laughs> Not my problem, though. <laughs> right? I had to help type checks for his payouts to pay out his, uh, his workers. I had to do, like, t- when we went to the DMV, I had to translate. I had to, you know, like, just stuff like that. But you've got, kid, you got people that are coming in from different countries and their families are in this state of shock and they're trying to be optimistic for their kids and their kids are in shock and they come to, the, to school and I don't know if anybody is... Have, have any of you ever said, oh, you're a new kid. Welcome to Lakeside. Oh, you guys are awesome. Some of you guys are Christians. E- Esther's like, I have. All right, you know what I'm saying? Because the most, most likely they're not going to feel that at all. Now, this is the deal. This is what I know. I know that when somebody is very, very vulnerable and they're very, very hurting, right? They're broken. They, they, feel, they miss home. They're, 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 they're homesick, right? And you befriend them, all of a sudden you become a very powerful entity in their life. Not from manipulation. Don't get me wrong. You're not you're like, okay, buy me a Coke. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. But like you have this incredible influence in their life where you're able to speak truth in their life because maybe their, their guard is down. <laughs> Your guard, their guard is down and all of a sudden you're having really vulnerable conversations. You're talking about real struggles and all of a sudden you know, they want to they wanna emulate you. They want to follow you. They want to know what, you, what, what makes you different. Why you are different than everybody else in that school. Because you're the one that's the first one to talk to them. You're the first one to find, find them out. You see what I'm saying? God uses immigration. God uses moving people. In, uh, um, 
you, you, you find in a lot of missionary stories that you've got people that are in vulnerable positions and they come and they move to the states, especially like in refugee status, and then the first people that they meet is the church. Because these churches, they've geared themselves to think outside the box and they're going after refugees. So they, they, they go and they invade the apartment complexes where they're moving all these refugees and they befriend all of these refugees. They help them with normal things. They, they teach their kids. They, they play with their kids. They help their kids adjust. And all of a sudden, that entire refugee apartment complex is, Christ, is Christian. Because the only people that have loved them from the very, very beginning were the Christians. Does that make sense? It's a very, very, very powerful thing. Now, some of you guys are like, well, I don't know I can do all that. I don't know what... Just befriend. Just befriend an immigrant. Befriend somebody that's not... Befriend the new kid in the school. Befriend the person that doesn't feel like that they belong. That's it. Really simple. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 18. Thank you. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribes. He executes justice for the fatherless, and the widow, and loves the sojourner. That's the, 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 the guy who, the journey. Giving him food and clothing, love the sojourner. Therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. I love this. This is in Deuteronomy. This is in the Torah, the first five books of the entire Old Testament, of the, in, of the Bible. And this is God saying, I love the foreigner. I love the one that, that travels. You see, you see in, uh, um, <coughs> in Kings, uh, Solomon, he even pray, prays a prayer he prays a prayer over the, uh, um, the foreigner in the land. He gives them decrees on how to treat the foreigners. In Acts, um, when uh, uh, Jojo brought up Philip, right? this is God taking Philip and saying, the Spirit of God, an angel of the Lord comes to Philip, an apostle, and he says, hey, go talk to this Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, number one, Ethiopians are not Jews. Eunuchs have their cut off. So they're not even necessarily men. They're not even allowed to come into the temple because they're considered blemish. We talked about this in college group. So this Ethiopian eunuch high up on the court of the, uh, of the queen of Ethiopia, right? He goes to Jerusalem to worship and he comes back and he wouldn't have been able to get into the temple because he's a eunuch and everyone knows he's a eunuch. So he's coming back and he's reading Isaiah. And when you read the, uh, the scrolls in the Old Testament, you would read them out loud. And so he was riding in a chariot. He's obviously very wealthy. You don't have chariots if you're, you're, you're poor. And he has a driver, and he's reading, and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And then Philip <coughs> is walking by, sees him, and he hears him reading from Isaiah, right? And one of the things that he reads, uh, um, well, what he would ba- basically stumble on is that how the prophecy in Isaiah says that the, even the eunuch will be made like a brother and sister when they were completely and totally rejected. That's, that was the prophecy. And Jesus was the answer to that prophecy. And so Philip comes in and he starts explaining to him about Jesus and the guy gets radically saved right there, wants to become baptized, and then that's when God teleports him 20 miles away. Carries him away like, whoa, right? God is totally interested in the foreigner. We cannot think that just because we're Christians, God's not interested in everybody else. You know how like the worldview now, everybody's like, oh, this is my religion, um, you know, and you, you have your religion and everything's... That's not the way God is. Because we believe that we have truth. And this is hard. This is hard because in today's day and age, it's not popular to say that you have truth and nobody else does. But we know that Jesus is truth because when he substituted himself, 
he blew the game away. Because before it was everybody tried to do the right thing as many times just so that God would say, okay, you did good enough, come on in. But the Bible makes clear that the only people that get into heaven are the ones that are perfect. And the problem is nobody's perfect. And so Jesus had to do something. God had to do something. So Jesus came and he said, okay, I will take the punishment, everything that was supposed to be on them, the wrath of God, all, completely, I will take it and you guys can go into heaven. We'll switch places. No other religion says that or does that. Even uh, um, um, Islam, it's a scale. You ask a Muslim, hey, do you, how do you know for sure that you're getting into heaven? Well, I don't know, but I've done all these good things. I've tried to follow all the five pillars. I even made a pil- pilgrimage to Mecca. But in the day, in the, in, at the end, you, you're still up to God. God has to weigh your goods and your bads. We know that that doesn't work. How do you, how do you measure your goods and your, your bads? And so we had to have a substitute. We believe that Jesus is the only way to get into heaven. We believe that that's what we were created for, to have relationship with God. And we've been separated from God because of sin. And Jesus is the only way to bring us back. You get what I'm saying? When we believe that that, that is true, we want others to know that. That no amount of meditation before Buddha will bring them into the, uh, into the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't work. It doesn't make them right with God. There's no enlightenment that's click and that happens in our brain. Hinduism with that constant, constant reincarnation until you finally get to the level of Brahman. And then you finally hit nirvana, become nothing. We do not believe those things. You know the bike wheel? where they say all, the, all roads lead to heaven, everything's God, all the cute little names. If you study religion, you would never, ever say that all of these gods are the same. It's all in the middle, like everybody's going to the... Buddhism is going to God. Islam is going to God. If you study religion, you would know that they were vehemently against each other. Not, not necessarily like, I want to kill each other, but vehemently in ideology, in thought. It's not the same thing. Islam is not the same thing as Christianity because Islam is about personal merit, my personal works. Christianity is not about my works at all. It's about Jesus' work. It makes a huge difference. And so we have to forego racism, going back to the first. Racism does not fit in the Christian mindset. It doesn't fit. Because Jesus, because God, He loves the foreigner. He loves the person that's different than us. He calls us to reach those people. If we do not, we're not living the call of God. What was the promise given to, uh, to, to, to Abraham in Genesis? Anybody remember? I will make you into a great nation. Why? To be a blessing to the nations. You have that scattered all over it. But the problem was Israel never did it. And so what did God have to do? Even the church in Acts 1... Acts 2, when they all started getting saved, Acts 3, Acts 4, it wasn't until Acts 8, the chapter Acts 8, when persecution hit. A lot of people were like, oh, when persecution happens, that's really bad. It is bad. It sucks. But there's a reason for it. In Acts 8, God uses, allows persecution. People start to kill Christians, Paul, before he was a Christian. And then the church goes, well, it's time for me to go home. All the foreigners that were in in Jerusalem at the time, they're like, oh, I'm going to go home. And all of a sudden the gospel spread like wildfire because everywhere they went, they started to share the gospel. Do you see how this is working? This is the whole point. Our church, you guys cannot be stuck here thinking that you can take everything that God has given you and do nothing with it. 
You have to be a light wherever you go. And I know that some of you are scared. I'm not talking to just extroverts. A lot of times people from the, the pulpit, they only think about extroverts. The people, they're like, I love people. And introverts are like, I love books and cats. No, not cats. I'm not talking to just extroverts. The introverts are even more powerful because they sidle up next to you and they don't have to talk. And they're like, oh, thank God, a person that doesn't have to talk. And then when they want to talk, they talk about stuff that's deep, stuff that matters. They don't talk about Britney, uh, Britney Spears. That was like years ago, sorry. They don't talk about like, oh, Justin Bieber was years ago. I cannot keep up. What? Taylor Swift. Okay, yeah, she's always popular, right? They talk about real conversations, real struggles, real issues, and all of a sudden they are, you're being a light to them. I'm not saying that you have to stand on the street corner and say God hates you because you're a sinner. Right? But I am saying that you have to be a light wherever you are. You have to go after those foreigners because they are wanting to have, I, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I've felt broken before. I've felt lonely before. And I loved it when people came out and said, hey, you want to hang out? You want to be a friend? You want to be my friend? Yeah, I want to be your friend. I, I don't have anybody. I've felt that way. I've moved a lot growing up. You guys, I know that some of you guys are thinking, I have to do like, amazing missions. I have to go and move to Africa, marry uh, a Ugandan woman, and I have to bear many children all natural, and I have to eat bugs and stuff. No, man. It's like wherever you are, there's immigrants. Did you know in, in Colombia, there's a Bhutanese uh, um, refugee camp. It's an apartment complex in Colombia. Do you know, what, you know anything about Bhutan? It, it costs, for us to go to Bhutan, it, uh, a visa, one day visa is $200. So every day you stay in Bhutan, you have to pay $200. There is missionary after missionary. There's hundreds of missionaries on the border of India trying to get into Bhutan, but they can't. It's so closed off. And the only people that can get in, they have to pay $200 a day, and they are escorted all around Bhutan. Bhutanese, they are very, 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 very traditional. Very, very closed off. Nobody can reach them. And guess what? They just opened an entire apartment complex of Bhutanese people in Colombia. Trevor, good friend of mine, right? The way he talks to Muslims, it's, it freaks me out a little bit. He looks at this guy. He's like, oh, that guy looks like a Muslim. And then he's like, salam alaikum. And the guy's like, the heck? Who's this guy? <laughs> and, and you know, he, you know, he'll come up and he'll reply. And then they'll come and talk. He's like, do I know you? He's like, nope, you don't know me. He says, you look Muslim. Are you Muslim? He's like, yeah, I'm Muslim. And they start talking about Jesus and hanging out, and they have tea, and they spend hours together. And then, then they're just like, oh, come meet my family. And they eat together, and then they, oh, they come meet my fellow worker, and they go to a gas station, and they hang out there. and they He knows, like, in like that one weekend where he just shouted at some Muslim guy, he met, like, 20, 20 Muslims. And he just hung out with them and became their friend. Weird, right? And I know that's super extroverted. I know that a lot of you guys would never do that, but there's the kid in your school that, that looks like walks around by himself and maybe has no friends, and you're like, I just say hi to him. Hey, what's your name? Samir. That was the kid with the chubby glasses. <laughs> hey, Samir, what's up, man? I mean, it, he was cute. He was a little cute kid. <laughs> he was so down, he's like... <laughs> Oh, I miss that kid. I don't know him, but I miss him because he was really cute. But anyway, all right. So I'm going to give you really, uh, uh, really quick tips. Okay, four points for talking. Four, four points to talking to uh, unbelievers or immigrants. Okay, number one, assume that God is at work. This is really, really important because sometimes when you look at people, you're like, oh, they have no desire to hear about Jesus at all. They have no desire to come to church. They have no. Assume that God is at work because He is. A lot of you guys run away from God every single day, right? 
One second you're a Christian, other second you act totally like everybody else. But God still continues to pursue you. Assume that God is at work because he loves. Number two, be curious, not cautious. Now this is the thing. A lot of people are like, I don't want to say anything offensive. Screw that. Forget it. Just say offensive things. Don't be like offensive like, like, you know, like I hate you or whatever. But like, ask them questions. Like, oh, um, like, like uh, I remember when my friends would come to my house and my grandmother would start yelling at them because they would walk in with shoes. Like, la, 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 la. she's speaking Korean. And they're like, I don't know what you're saying. Oh, like, we don't wear shoes in our house. Right? And they came in. And, they, and then later he's like, hey, so why don't you guys wear shoes? I'm like, I don't know. But, <laughs> but it's, just, it's just simple. Like, ask questions. Like, oh, why do you do that? Hey, I saw this on TV. Why do you guys do that? Or what is it? That's cool. Because we kind of do this thing. And I was wondering if it's kind of similar to that. Just be curious. And they'll tell you everything. All of a sudden, like, anybody that comes up and asks the same question, you'd be like, noob. <laughs> you're like, how do you not know that? Right? Use it towards your advantage. Be curious, not cautious. Number three, be open with your spirituality. Now, this is tough. If you ever, ever, ever want to introduce a new topic and it's kind of on your heart and you don't have the courage to say it in the beginning, it's going to get harder and harder and harder and harder. Have, have, have uh, you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, I have this great story and then you ignore them and they get all mad and you're like, all right, I'm sorry. Tell me the story. No, I don't want to tell you the story. Tell me the story. No, I don't want to tell you the story. Tell me the story. Come on, man. Tell me. The- no, I don't want to tell you. The- I don't feel like anyone. The mood, the, it's, it's past. Tell me the story. And you make him tell you the story, and it's like the lamest thing ever. Because it wasn't a big deal. But when you made it a big deal, the story wasn't a good story. That's what it's like with your spirituality. Right? It, the more that you wait not to say anything, it becomes this big pressure ball. And you, anytime you talk about Jesus, you, you say it with weird, trembling, Jesus! You know, you're like, uh... <laughs> What? <laughs> Do you go to church? <laughs> you know, like, just be like, hey, man, I go to church. We're, um, this weekend, we're doing CrossFit. Do you want to come? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, what, what's CrossFit? Uh, it's where you throw up and you exercise <laughs> and you, you walk. Uh, you can't walk. You walk funny for the next week. And, you know, but it's really cool if you want to come. And then we eat Panera. That's really why we do it. You know, like, like that. It doesn't have to be this big, dramatic well, let me tell you something. In Genesis 12, what you find, the Lord, the Holy Script says, no, you just talk to them and be their friend and hang out. I mean, it's just not that dramatic. Uh, and then number four, do not be deterred. This is really important. A lot of times we just, you know, they're just like, oh, well, they don't really want to be friends or they don't really want to talk. or they Don't give up. Keep going. Keep talking. Keep, keep making friends. Build friends all around you. I know you guys. You guys are pretty cool, generally. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Kyung's cool. <laughs> Make friends, right? A lot of people want to hang out with you. Reach out to the people that, that you wouldn't normally reach out to. Um, Allison had this really cool story. Uh, she made a friend on the Internet. And how long have you been friends with Vi? She's been friends with Vi for three years on the Internet. She's never met her. And she came to visit yesterday. Yeah, and he's like, I saw her. Yeah. Isn't that cool? I mean, I don't want any of your League of Legends friends here. Don't bring your League of Legends friends. <laughs> but may, you can make friends wherever and, and then just share life with them and, and share what's, what's most valuable. I heard this crazy statistic that kind of startled me. I'm going to end with this. Is that people speak about what they care about the most in the first 20 minutes of conversation. People speak about what they care about the most in the first 20 minutes of conversation. 
So apparently I talk about my wife all day. Let's <laughs> okay, I'm going to pray. Um, bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much, God, that, uh, man, that, you, that you, you, you care about the vulnerable. You care about the broken. And I know that even in this room there's vulnerable and there's broken people. There's people that are afraid. There's people who are afraid to be hurt. And I just thank you so much that there's people even outside of our realm um, and that you take notice the kid that just moved in from Pakistan or is afraid that everyone's going to think that he's a terrorist or the kid that, that moved from Indiana over to here to take JoJo's place. God, I just thank, I just thank you that you are mindful of all of these people and that you, you use us. And so I just pray that you would help us to have courage. You would help us to be vigilant. You would help us to be passionate to bring about them knowing you. And that in, in a genuine and a sincere way, not a preachy way, not a, I need to convert you or manipulate you into becoming a Christian because you're weak and vulnerable at this moment, but really just to be that friend and be the person that, that you've called us to be. And so I thank you, and I just pray for every single person, Lord, that you would anoint them in here to be salt and light wherever they go, and that they would, you would just open their eyes to see opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.